0: Well, good morning. If you would, uh, open your Bibles to First Thessalonians chapter 4. That's where we're going to be in our lesson this morning. First Thessalonians chapter 4. There's something that's difficult when it comes to uh, talking about the Bible and preaching and, and what you focus on and emphasize. And it's something that, that, if you're not careful, it can lead you with the misconception. Uh, what I mean is, The Bible's written a lot about people who did some pretty incredible things. You can read about Paul and his missionary journeys and his uh, uh, sufferings uh, for the sake of the gospel and the the churches that he started and the people that he converted and the incredible things that took place through his hands and that God did through him. You can read about Peter. You can read about James, the, the leader of the church in Jerusalem. You can read about Jesus, who did incredible things that have changed world history from that point forward. And we know their names and we know their stories because they're important and they matter and they did incredible things. However, um, 3,000 people were baptized on the day of Pentecost. What were their names? I don't know. <laughs> what were their stories? I don't really know. What, what great, incredible things did they do? I don't know. Um, not everyone was a Paul. Not everyone was a Peter. Not everyone was a James, and no one's a Jesus. Uh, when, when you read the Bible, you can get the impression, I think, sometimes, that every early Christian was one of those who was turning the world upside down. But you know what? A lot of them, there's nothing written about them. They might not have traveled very far, they might not have written anything profound. They might not have uh, changed the, the world because of their actions for the next thousand years, but they served God faithfully where they were, and God loved them, and God saw the work that they did, and they are blessed eternally because of it. When we talk about church history... You can read a book on church history, you can take a class on church history, and you're going to come, become familiar with a lot of names. You're going to become familiar with some early Christian martyrs like like Justin Martyr or, or Polycarp. I mean, Justin Martyr, if you name your kid that, of course he's going to grow up to be a martyr. No, just, <laughs> he wasn't actually named Justin Martyr, just in case you were wondering. Um, but... Uh, But you can read about people who gave their lives for the cause of Christ. And it's inspiring and it's incredible to read some of the things that they did. You can read some of the great philosophers and theologians. You can read about Origen and you can read about uh, Tertullian and you can read about uh, uh, Jerome and Augustine. And these people, they have made such an impact that they've changed the way people thought about foundational Christian ideas. For thousands of years. You can read about the popes. You can read about the venerable bead. You can read about Charlemagne. And not all the things that you read about these people are good. But they're, they're known because they did imp- impressive, huge things. They changed the world. You can read about uh, about Aquinas. You can read about in the Protestant Reformation, the, the names that begin to appear in the early days. You can see uh, names like John Wycliffe. He sometimes is called the morning star of the Reformation. He's, he made incredible changes with our Bible so that people could actually have the Bible in their own tongue. And, and, and it, could, it could actually be owned by people. Uh, you know, for most of church history, people didn't own and read Bibles. They would go to the church to learn the Bible. Uh, and, and it had to be taught to them. And a lot of times it was read in a different language than they even spoke well there are people who worked hard who suffered for that to happen you can read about Erasmus and William Tyndale you can read about the great reformers like Martin Luther and you know nailing his 95 theses on the door and in that that huge pivotal moment in the history of the church you can read about people like uh, John Calvin and John Wesley and great preachers who have done all sorts of things but what about Fred? I just made that name up. I don't know if there's actually a guy named Fred. But here's, that's exactly my point. Uh, my point is, what about the guy who nothing is written about? And he didn't write anything. And no great stories are told of him. And he was from a small rural town. And he heard the message of the gospel, and he believed it. And he's a coppersmith. And he went to church on Sundays. And he made knickknacks for the kids. And they smiled when they got them. And they played with them when they went home. And he said his prayers... And he learned about Jesus and he shared his faith and he grew old and he died. And no one knows anything about him. I think the vast, vast majority of Christians who have ever lived have been forgotten. The vast majority of good things done in the name of Christ have been forgotten. At least they've been forgotten by human history. They've been lost to the annals of time. But they're seen by God. God. And they're remembered by God, and they're known by him, and they matter. And those people matter. And those people are loved. And sometimes we can develop a desire to be the next Paul or to be the next Peter. And sometimes, uh, while they did great things, and that's great to want to do and accomplish much for the kingdom, sometimes we can find ourselves accidentally having the desire to be First in the kingdom of heaven, to be like the apostles who were arguing with one another, which one of us is the greatest? And and they might have even thought about greatest in some good terms there, perhaps. Maybe the greatest as in the one who can lead the most people to Christ, or the greatest as in the one who can uh, do the most charity, or the greatest in the one who can be have the the greatest reputation for Jesus. And, And like you know, you can you can define great in some good ways. And even if you try to do that, you come to find out that desire to be number one desire for greatness, comparison leads to death. It kills the work of Christ and it kills the work of the church. Our desire is never to be the greatest Christian of all time. Our desire shouldn't be to be the greatest church of all time. Our desire should be to be faithful to Christ Jesus in all that we do. Whether you're known for that or not known for that isn't really the point. Whether you get huge numbers and there's articles written about you and people talk about the work of this church across the globe or not. Or this is a place where we know each other and we're family with one another and we love each other and we honor Christ together and we worship and sing together and we're generous when one another has a need and no one ever really knows about it. God knows about it and you matter to Him and you're faithful to Him. And sometimes living the quiet Christian life is exactly what you are called to do. I had you turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 to start this lesson. And uh, I want to read uh, some of the things that Paul writes now. 1 Thessalonians is a wonderful book. If you're ever uh, you know, feeling, uh, <laughs> feeling discouraged about the church, read 1 Thessalonians. Because 1 Thessalonians, unlike Galatians or 1 Corinthians or some of the other letters you read, 1 Thessalonians are, is where things are going right. Um, it's a small church. It's it's a church that uh, that was born in tumultuous times. You can read Acts seventeen, and you can find out that Paul was not able to stay in Thessalonica long as he started this church. He had to leave because of persecution. They didn't have a, you know a New Testament that they could sit there and ground themselves in. It was a dangerous place, and it was a, a place that didn't get deeply rooted in a lot of rich theology. And Paul had to leave. And Paul was very concerned about that church. Because imagine planting a church, being there for a couple of weeks, and then leaving it on their own. What's going to happen to them? If they're in a dangerous area and people aren't deeply rooted in Scripture and in the love of God, then then a lot of times bad things can happen. They can give up. They can be like that the, the seed that was on the rocky soil that sprouted up really quickly and then just died immediately. Because there was no deep root there and Paul wasn't really able to establish a deep root in that church and so he's concerned about them and he's worried about them and he sends Timothy to them uh, to try to find out how they're doing and Paul remains at Athens and eventually Timothy makes his way back to him and tells him Paul you're not going to believe this the church there's doing great like they still love uh, the you and the work that you're involved in. Uh, they have remained faithful even through hardship in fact the their love is is making an impact in the community around them and in their their whole their region that they're in It's a church that has not given up, that has continued to be faithful and that has continued to serve God and so like the first three chapters of First Thessalonians are Paul giving thanks to the church. There are three times that he mentions, and I give thanks, and what thanks can I offer and i'm so thankful and, and you read that. Then you get to chapter 4, and there are a few things that he, he wants to help them in. But even those things, they're not really problems per se. They're just things that he wants them to remember and to excel even more. And there's a phrase that he uses a couple of times, uh, to excel still more. And it's like, you're, you're doing this, and I know you're doing this, but try to do even better. Uh, and he talks about sexual morality as an area, that, uh, that they can excel still more in their own sanctification and holiness. But then also, and this is the passage that I want to read, it's in chapter 4 and verse 9. Reading verses 9 through 12, he gives them an admonition of kind of what their goal as Christians is, what their life should look like. And one of the things that's fascinating about it is he doesn't say, I want you to be known as the greatest church in all the world. He doesn't say, I want you each to be famous celebrity Christians who everyone wants to, to, to know more about and learn about and everyone stands in awe of how great you are as Christians. He says, love each other. Live a quiet life. Go to work and do it well. You know, like it's, they're very simple instructions. They're very simple pictures of what the quiet Christian life looks like. And Paul believes that churches who do that are making an impact. Churches who do those things are changing the world for good. Churches who do those things are the ones through whom God is working. And you can can be proud and and thankful to be a part of of churches that are doing that. Let's let's look at verse 9. Paul says, Now as to the love of the brethren you have no need for anyone to write to you. Uh, So again, they're they're doing all right. He says, you, you've been taught by God to love one another. And indeed you practice it toward all the brethren. Um, And, uh, Let's see, you practice it toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. So Macedonia is like their region. Uh, So it's you have, uh, like in Macedonia, you're going to have like Berea, you're going to have Philippi, some of these other churches that Paul has been to. And he says, you guys are practicing brotherly love towards one another. By the way, that word brotherly love, we know that Greek word. We have a city named after it. Uh, It's the Greek word Philadelphia. Um, But that word right there, uh, he's saying, you guys are doing an excellent job loving one another as brothers. Uh, And you also love the church next door in Philippi. And you also love the church next door in Berea. Like all those churches, you guys are demonstrating love towards them. And that matters. And you're demonstrating love towards one another. And that is an essential and key ingredient to what Christianity is all about. Sometimes, Sometimes we can forget that faithfulness to God is a relatively simple thing. When Jesus was asked... What the greatest commands in all of Torah are, I say simple in that the answer is simple. (laughs) Practicing it is not always easy. But he says it's to love God with everything that you are, with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And if you do those things, pretty much everything else falls into place. Like, love is essential ingredient number one. Love for God and love for one another. And what Paul sees in the church in Thessalonica he doesn't see that they are the wealthiest church. I don't know a thing about their numbers, but he does see love there. And he sees that they are practicing a love that looks outward and a love that is towards all who are in the area around them. And again, he doesn't talk about the, that they have uh, made their way all the way to, to you know, the, the church at Rome. and th- but, but in their area, they're making an impact. And it's through their love. And Paul thinks that that's a wonderful and valuable thing. Uh, if you keep reading in verse 10, after saying that they are practicing love, he says, but we urge you, brethren, to excel still more, uh, to do even better, to continue to improve in that. And verse 11, to make it your ambition. Now, one of the reasons uh, that that I mentioned the Greek word Philadelphia because uh, the word uh, phileo or, or phile is uh, the word that means love. Uh, and Philadelphia is love of Adelphos, of, of brothers. This word right here that is translated in my Bible as ambition, make it your ambition or make it your desire or or, or try to do this. It's a word. It's also a word kind of like that. It begins with the same uh, phile, but it means uh, love of honor. It, it's it's a word that if you were to talk about, the reason they translate it as ambition, is because that's, that's the type of thing that a lot of people are ambitious for, is like honor. <laughs> a lot of people are ambitious to be number one, or to get that promotion, or to, to be the one who's the best at what they do, or to be the best athlete, or to be, like, ambition drives people. And if you look at the types of things that most people are ambitious about, it's not going to be the list that Paul mentions here. Um, I, I read a book, uh, just finished it recently. It's called A Church Called Tov. Um, and that, the word tov in Hebrew means good. And so basically it's a, it's a church with a goodness culture. A church that, that focuses on what matters more so than anything else. And one of the things that uh, the book starts off by doing is talking about some of the big downfalls that have happened. Some of the scandals that sometimes break in the famous churches or among the famous pastors or among the celebrity pastors who write all the books and who are all well known by everyone and they get to speak at all the biggest things. And what he noticed is that so often what you have when you have a a celebrity culture in the church where you have your famous Christians is that their ambition very often becomes honor. It becomes fame. It becomes notoriety. It becomes being the one who's known for doing the greatest things or being the best preacher or being the most well-known or having the biggest platform or having the most followers on social media or writing the best sellers and all of that stuff. And it becomes about their own greatness. And when you have a church or you have a preacher or you have Church members, anyone who calls themselves a Christian whose focus is their own greatness or their own notoriety or their own celebrity or their own fame, you are creating a culture that is toxic and that kills. Your ambition as a church, he does not say make it your ambition to be the biggest and the greatest and the splashiest. He doesn't say make it your ambition to have the newspaper articles written about all the great things that you've done. Again, I, if that happens, praise God. But that shouldn't be your ambition. That shouldn't be what you're you're striving for above anything else. What he tells them to have as their ambition is a surprising phrase in verse 11. Make it your ambition, your love of honor, to lead a quiet life and attend to your own matters, your own business. He says make a quiet life your ambition, one where you're not well known. One where you don't uh, uh, find yourself with everyone looking at you, but it's a quiet, peaceful, simple, faithful life. A life that uh, might not make the biggest splashes in the world, and it might not be something where uh, you are fi- fighting every battle, or you are you know, famous or a celebrity, but you're serving God faithfully and he sees you. It's kind of like, I mean, I think you see some of the same types of ideas in the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus talks about the different ways in which people practice their righteousness. There are some who, when they give, they want to sound a trumpet and clap their hands and let everyone know that a great gift has been offered by a great person. But what Jesus says to do is don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give in secret is a language that he uses, but I think it's the idea of give. Give quietly. Do a good thing and do it quietly. Do it peacefully. Uh, you know, the word, it's not the word silent, but it's a word that means basically peace uh, without a lot of upheaval and without a lot of pomp and circumstance. Um, don't offer the big, loud, long prayers with all the repetitions where everyone thinks, boy, this guy is an amazing prayer, or more likely, boy, this guy talks a lot. Uh, like, instead, just pray simply. Pray to God. Pray sincerely pray in your closet you know just it doesn't have to be a big thing but God sees it and that's what matters live a simple live a simple quiet life now in in the context of 1 Thessalonians that probably also has something to do with persecution. Uh, there was persecution at Thessalonica. And uh, so that is something that can disturb the quiet. Uh, and so he's probably praying for, you know, wanting that to die down also. So that you can live simply and not be on trial and not have your life on the line. Not have to be a Justin Martyr or a Polycarp. But But this idea... I think it goes contrary to what a lot of times we think of as the greatest service we can do in the kingdom. Sometimes the greatest service is being that guy who's lost to history, who no one knows all the great things that he did, but he loved his community. He served his church and he was faithful to God. Uh, If you keep reading verse 11, he says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to attend your own business and work with your hands. Uh, attend to your own self, it, You know, is basically the idea there. And, and there are so many issues and there are so many distractions that get us to focus on things that, in the reality, we can't even solve those problems. Sometimes the greatest work you can do isn't solving world hunger, but it's feeding the person who you see who's hungry. Uh, sometimes the greatest good that you can do isn't uh, bringing about world peace, but is in your own life and in your own uh, way, bringing peace between you and your neighbor, bringing peace between your, your, your siblings, or bringing peace in your church family. Like we, we sometimes get so globally focused that we think about everyone else's matters, and then we think about everyone else's business. And perhaps what we ought to focus on, first and foremost, above anything else, is our own. There's a story that's told of, uh, of a little girl standing on a seashore and a bunch of starfish got washed onto the shore. And with with any of these stories, I'd never, I mean, I'm assuming this is just to make a point, but, uh, but she goes down there and she's throwing these starfish and back into the water. And, uh, someone sees her and she's only done like a couple of them. And, uh, there's thousands and thousands of them on the seashore. And he says, what, what are you doing? I mean, you're never going to be able to save all of these starfish. And, uh, She picks one up, and she throws it in there. She says, well, I saved that one. You know, It's like you might not be able to make a difference for the whole world, but you can make a difference for that one. You can make a difference for the people in your own little circle. You can make a difference for the people that you see. And those are the people who need your help more than anyone else, the people who you see. That's priority number one, the people who are around you, the people who you come into contact with, the people at your workplace and the people who uh, you you pass on the street and the people who are your neighbors. Attend to them, serve them, make them your mission and them your effort. Um, He says, work with your own hands. You know, there are uh, sometimes we can so separate things. In our lives, that we think of, well, my church is my church stuff, and my job is my job stuff, and uh, and I do my job for like finances, and I do my job uh, because it's my responsibility, and I do my job for uh, for you know to to have a reputation or to have friends or whatever you do with your job. In uh, my church life, is that's for like my spiritual growth, that's for my service to God, that's for the community of faith, and all that. Paul is including the idea of your work life, the things that you do, as part of your service to God. And I think that's a really important thing to remember, that we should probably make fewer distinctions where we end up putting borders around our faith life, uh, but we let that become part of everything that we do. There are all kinds of different jobs represented here, and I'm pretty sure just about every one of them can be done for Jesus. If you're a teacher and you are educating people, you're educating young people, you're, that's a wonderful blessing that you're giving to the world. That's a wonderful blessing you're giving to those people. And you know what? I think Jesus is a fan of you making other people's lives better, you helping improve people for the future. That's something you can do not only because it's a responsibility and not even only for the people that you're around, but that's an act of service to God. Think of the work that you do as an act of service to God. You, you can pray as you do. it. You can pray on your way there that, that God would be glorified through the work that you're doing. Whether it is that you're, uh, whether you stay at home with your own kids, that is an act of service to God. And think of it as such. Remember it that way. Whether you're a teacher, whether it is that you're a firefighter and you're saving people from, and you're saving their house, like that's an act of service that you are doing. Do it for God. Whether you work at a restaurant, you're bringing food to people, whether you're a cook, when you are serving others, you're getting a really good picture of what uh, Jesus' life was all about. If, you, if your job requires service to other people, think of that as service to your master. Um, whether you're in sales, whether you're a nurse or a doctor, and you're bringing about healing to people's lives, that's, that, that's an easy one to connect to the work of Jesus. Uh, but, but there are so many things that, that we do that take on a lot of different responsibilities or they're viewed different ways. But one thing they can have in common is that you're not just a salesman. You're a Christian salesman. You're not just a firefighter. You're a Christian firefighter. You're not just a teacher. You're a Christian teacher. And as such, you're bringing intentional goodness of Christ into the work that you do for those around you. Um, what What ways can I serve Christ today when you're getting ready for work in the morning? It's probably a good question to ask yourself. What small ways can my job be of benefit to the people around me? In what ways can I, uh, my behavior here, even if you're not even talking about like your, your job, your task, but when you're talking to your coworkers, is there a way that I could help uh, fight against a toxic culture or a negative culture that permeates in here? Could I bring positivity to it? You know, that's one of the things that uh, that you hear about a lot at the workplace is uh, there's sometimes there's negative attitudes towards bosses, negative attitudes towards the work. Well, what way can I stop contributing to that as an act of devotion to Jesus? Uh, what ways can I try to help serve in other ways? Look at someone who is in need and say, hey, can I help you? Look at one of your coworkers and I say, hey, is there anything I can help you with? Like, In what ways can you bring the goodness of Christ to your job? Uh, What Paul is saying is live a quiet life, attend to your own business, work with your hands, like do your own work. But in all of those things, you have the opportunity to infuse them with the goodness of Jesus. Try to do that. Try to spread joy, compliment people that you see, tell them they're doing a good job. Try to be a motivator for goodness while you're there. Um, He continues in verse 12. He says, so that you will behave properly toward outsiders and not be in any need. Um, You want to show the goodness of Christ to those around you, even those outside of this building, even the outsiders. Walk properly towards them so that they can see something of value in who you are and what you do, and it doesn't have to be big and splashy. Um, And finally, he says, and not be in any need. One One of the benefits of Um, of having a job is uh, when you can not be in need of the help of others, uh, perhaps you could then use that opportunity to help others who are in need. Or some translations say not be dependent on someone. You could have people who become dependent on you, or or at least for a time, you are able to help others. Um, Sometimes Paul will write things, and then people will kind of twist them to a political or a, or a, a, a cultural end. I, be careful that you don't read a verse like this and think, okay, great, so I need to go condemn people who don't have a job right now. Uh, that's not real. I think Paul would be upset if he found out that that's what we were doing with this verse. I think rather what he wants us to do is try to take get a job. Try to be able to support yourself and when you do see those who are in need, because that's going to happen. And every time and place and culture, you will find people who have need. You will find people who are unable to, to uh, have a sufficient job that, that, sat, that takes care of all of their needs. Well, if you have that, then you can use that to benefit other people. And so try to do those things. And again, those are things that if you do everything he just said. In 200 years from now, you look back on the history of the church, you probably won't be written about. But God will have seen and God will have been pleased. So uh, as we bring our lesson to a close, I guess here's, here's, here are the points that I'm, that I'm trying to make. Um, the most vital Christian service we can offer, it's not always the splashiest. It's not always what will make us the most famous. It's not always what will make you uh, the greatest known Christian of all time. Sometimes your service to God might look like going to the nursing home and caring for an aging parent day after day. And that's a lot of hard work. And that's something that turns your life upside down when you are caring for an aging parent or, or a spouse. Uh, as you're uh, growing older and the health of a spouse is declining and you care for them and you love them and you help them, you're serving God in that. And that's the type of work that matters. Sometimes it's studying and praying and teaching Bible classes at a church. You know, when you say, okay, I'm going to try to help the church with this, and I'm going to take it upon myself. I'm going to read a text. I'm going to pray a lot about it. I'm going to study, it, and I'm going to try to teach that to others. You might not become famous for that, but you're putting the welfare of the church above yourself. You're faithfully serving, and that is what matters. Babysitting. To help another young couple at church be able to go out one night or something like that. It's maybe a a simple thing. Maybe it's something that you're not going to be famous for. But it's a service to Christ that helps other people. It's a way of becoming a closer and more tightly knit community. Getting together on a Tuesday morning to pray for those, uh, the church family who are in need. To fellowship with one another over a meal and to write cards. We have a group here that does that. That's not the type of thing that you would say necessarily is turning the world upside down. But it's the type of thing that matters now and into eternity. It's the type of thing that God sees. It's the type of thing that has value. Bringing food to a person after a medical procedure. Visiting the hospitals. Using your skills to help others. If you're a good mechanic... You can use that to help your church family when someone you know of has need. When If you're a good handyman, there are ways that you can use that to the benefit of the church and the benefit of others. And it might not make you famous, but God will see it. Church attendance. Sometimes just showing up is an act of faithfulness to God. When you talk about the churches that are doing the most for the kingdom, again, it might not be the ones who you would consider great. It might be that small church church. Not a lot of people, not a lot of wealth, but they come together, they say their prayers, they love each other, they worship together, they uh, help those that they see around them on their way home throughout the week, and they live lives of faithfulness to God. Um, maybe it's giving to the church. Maybe your act of generosity that helps support some of the mission work here and some of the benevolence in our community and some of the ministries that we have taking place here, those things matter. They are genuinely important. It, You create a toxic culture for the church when you compare your church to all the other ones and you want to be the most famous one, or you want to be the one that everyone wants to go to, or you want to be the one that's drawing in the masses and the crowds and is known for all the great things. That's not really what the church is for. Sometimes that happens, um, but make sure that that doesn't derail you from what you actually are called to do in Christ which is to serve with humility, to serve with generosity, to be kind, to be faithful, to pray, to fast, to, uh, to take worship seriously, and to offer to God the very best that you can. When you see someone who's in need, you offer a helping hand. When you leave this place, you share your faith with other people. Those are the things that matter. Those are the things that uh, ultimately make a great difference. They might not always be written about in history books, but God sees them and God is pleased. So as we bring our lesson to a close, I guess here's the challenge. Um, The things that you do this week, whether you're caring for a spouse or caring for a parent or caring for a child, whether you're going to work, whether you're talking to a coworker, talking to a neighbor, whether it is that uh, you are living a quiet life, each of the things that you do do them intentionally with Jesus in your heart. Do them for the sake of the kingdom. Help someone and do it for Jesus and pray to Jesus about it afterwards. But don't so segment your life that you have your secular you and your religious you, but make all the things that you do a part of your devotion to God, and I think that'll change you, and it'll probably open up more doors than you see available to you throughout your day, and if there's anyone here uh, who would like to become a Christian this morning, uh, you can talk to some of our elders in the library in the back, uh, or if you just need prayers of the church or need to talk to somebody, they are available. You can also come and sit on the front row while we stand and as we sing.